Bible study on Romans chapter 9. Before I even get started on this, this one is a chapter that I struggle with and I think many people struggle with because there are different opinions on what it means. And I will read what my study guide says about the different opinions because it gives different um, uh, thoughts by different people on this chapter. But I probably won't spend a whole lot of time because quite honestly, all of the people who have different opinions on it, no one really knows. And the, the, if they're right or wrong about it, but everybody has different opinions. So I definitely have an opinion on it as well. And I disagree with some and maybe more so agree, but I don't even want to claim to have an agreement with some ism or belief or anything like that, because I don't like to align with any kind of doctrinal belief. I just want to go back to scripture. And there are things in scripture that we just don't understand fully. It's not because scripture contradicts, it's because we don't understand it yet. And at some point, we will understand it. And maybe it's when we finally meet Jesus in person, that we will finally understand something that we didn't quite get. You know how it is when, um, you know, in a text, in fact, like if people are texting, one person can intend one meeting, but another person can read it and get a completely different meeting because you could take one sentence and when you're talking, you could make an inflection of one word and completely change the meaning of the same exact words just by your voice and the, the tone of each word that you use. Try that on something. Um, I heard that as an example uh, one time in an educational class, and it really made the point clear. Um, the spoken language and the inflection of words really can change the meaning of the exact same words in a written form. So we have a written form in front of us and we may not get it right. So I will, with that being said, uh, I will say a prayer. Dear God, please guide us on this and please, please bring to mind anything from scripture that will emphasize the truth in what we're about to read, because there is confusion on this. And we know that God is not the author of confusion. Um, Satan is the author of confusion. So we want to be led by God, to be led by God's spirit, and to understand what God wants, what you want us to know from this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter nine of Romans. Paul's writing, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God, over all, forever praised. Amen. That first paragraph by Paul, I can't even 
understand. I mean, I don't understand what he said here, except that he has anguish in his heart about Israel. But to the degree that he said that he wished he could, he were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. I guess that's just really a strong statement because I know that Paul did not want that. Uh, but I guess that's how badly he felt for the people of Israel who were not aware of Jesus being the Messiah. So I guess really talked myself into understanding that one, or maybe that was from God giving me clarity on it because I, my first reaction was, why would Paul say that? But it is, it's for the, the people of Israel that he has that great of a concern for them. Then getting back to scripture on starting verse nine, it is not as though God's word had failed for not at all who, for not all who descended from Israel are Israel, not because they are his descendants. Are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So there's, again, a lot of things here that um, are hard to understand. Um, well, first of all, the the point about um, the children of God not necessarily being children of physical descent um, that's really clear to me because um, not all of Israel accepts Jesus as the Messiah. So those who do not accept Jesus as Messiah, as we learned in uh, one of John's books, that um, those people are not in Christ, and you have to be in Christ in order to be in eternity, in order to have the adoption to sonship through the Father, and we are children of God when we believe in Jesus. And that belief isn't simply knowing the factual statement that Jesus existed or knowing the factual statement that Jesus was the Messiah, but it's understanding what Jesus told us through scripture when he was here and how God wants us to live. And it, there is an obedience factor to it. If we love God, we will obey him. And again, this is, there's such a confusion in the world about, in the Christian world, about works or faith. And it's really, they're both required. Because if you have faith, you will obey because you believe. So if you believe, you'll believe what God says and you'll do what he says because you believe. So if you just 
know the facts, you're not necessarily going to obey because you don't know God yet. And scripture says this. And that's where there's, I mean, I call that stage a baby Christian because a person knows who Jesus is and they believe that he's he's the son of God, but they don't know him yet. And you only, I don't know, I can't say you only, because there are people who had near-death experiences that came to belief. So um, my belief came through reading scripture and things that I questioned and asking questions and looking into it more and trying to understand, I mean, basically seeking, seeking the truth, seeking to know, to understand what's in scripture. And different people come about faith from different ways. But after you read scripture, scripture interprets scripture, other books will give you answers to things that are not clearly understood in some. So it's important to read the entire Bible from front to back, because if you do that, there, I mean, it's like, it's like it says, it's a treasure. I mean, there's so many like hidden nuggets of truth spread throughout. And if you only read part of it, you can't read part of a book and get the whole concept or understand the message. So it's really, it's all built upon one another, like it's all interrelated. And that's what is so supernatural about scripture is that 40 different authors all point you to the same thing. It's really ultimately all about Jesus and our redemption, saving, you know, Jesus being the one that brings us to God to so we can be in eternity. And that's what this whole thing is all about. It's like we messed up as people and Jesus saved us and brought us made it possible for us to be in God's kingdom. So getting back to um, the scripture, um, it, this, this whole concept of election is the thing that people um, have a hard time understanding. And really the word that um, is used in election is primarily used through Paul's letters in Romans. So it seems contained to Paul's statement, but then Peter does have one time where he talks about election. So there's something more to it that we know. And, and I do from, I do understand from Old Testament and New Testament that God definitely uses people for his purpose. But I also know that God gave mankind free will so that we can choose whatever we choose. And there are consequences based on our choices. So that is clearly repeated from the very beginning all the way to the very end. So if somebody takes Paul's statement about election and says, well, God planned everything out from the very beginning and all that, you know, like that was all like he just made some people good and some people bad. And it's just that's the way it is. I think scripture um, contradicts that all the way from the very beginning, because why? I mean, people will say, well, if you question God, you have no right to question God because it's like the the potter and the clay, we're the clay, God's the potter, and the clay can't tell the potter how to make the clay. And I get that. I'm not trying to play God or question God. What I'm saying, though, 
is scripture does not support that from what we know about God from the very beginning to the end. God gave people choices. And if you think about it, if someone loves somebody else, that's a choice. If somebody forces somebody else to love them, that's no longer a choice. It's forced. And is it really real? Well, God is love and he wants those who love him. So wouldn't he? This is just by logic. God gave us a brain to think. Wouldn't he then want to know what our choice would be? And, and that's the one thing that he gave that, you know, he made everything else. He created everything else, but he let us be an individual in that sense that he just said, okay, you're free to choose this. Just like the angels in the heavens, they were free to choose to fulfill God's commands, to be obedient or to become the fallen ones and be eliminated from eternity with Satan. And those things are all very clear in scripture about that too. Even the heavenly beings had, the angels at least, had um, free will given to them. And they can use it for good or for bad because there's fallen angels and there are good angels who are obedient to God. And they're messengers. The angels are basically messengers. And I, I mean, before I read scripture, I didn't even know really if angels existed. I just thought it was like a fairy tale. But then when you read scripture, they're not like what we see depicted on about angels. Um, in fact, in scripture, it tells us to um, something more or less, I'm going to paraphrase, just to, you know, be kind to all strangers because you may never know it, but in passing by, you may have met an angel. An angel may have crossed your path because Angels, in the true sense, look like human beings. Like they evidently or apparently can appear as a human person where you would not even know they were an angel. And so that's really another interesting thing that you won't get anywhere else. I mean, when you get the truth out of scripture, but there's repeated instances of that where the angels were pretty much just appeared as human beings. But they were, in fact, angels, and they were messengers from God. So anyway, getting back to um, this Romans chapter about in order that God's purpose and election might stand, God certainly does use certain people. There's no question about that. I am not um, saying because that's supported throughout Scripture, like John the Baptist, um, his mother was told that he was going to, I think he was going to prepare the way. So he was actually a cousin of Jesus. And um, so he's someone, um, God chooses certain people, just like he chose Abraham, just like he chose Moses. I mean, none of these people were perfect people. They were still sinful people. That was another surprise I had in reading scripture was that you hear all these names that you've heard before and you think that they were all perfect people or God chose them because they were righteous. But you find out when you're reading scripture, some of these people, I mean, some of these people had horrible backgrounds and God turned them around. Um, For example, Paul, he was actually killing, persecuting Christians, but then Jesus chose to use him to fulfill God's purpose. And he wrote so many books throughout the Bible, but originally he was the one that was actually killing Christians. So God uses 
unexpected people for things. And he does have a purpose. And ultimately, that purpose is to bring people into eternity. But here on earth, we're in this like testing period to see like, do we choose God? Do we love God? God loves us. He loves everybody. But how do we respond to God? That's that's what we're here for. That's what we're here to decide. That's what we're not. God's here to see how we do this. And there's another thing in scripture that also was a little scary to me too, because all of us are rebellious in some ways, and all of us hang on to ways that are not God's ways. But there's a certain point as I was reading scripture, I drew the conclusion that at a certain point, when you keep pushing God away, and you keep choosing your own way, or you keep choosing your own sinful way, and you keep pushing God away, there's a certain point, and I don't know when that point is, but God will just turn you over to it. Just let you go. Um, let let you have your way. And, um, and I don't know if it's just that um, some of us or some beings are just so against God, and they will never, ever change. We, I guess we do see that because people do. There are people who will never change. Um, but then there are some who will change at a certain point. And for me personally, I didn't want to push God to that limit of, you know, you. there's a certain time in people's lives where maybe you feel like God is, you feel this nudge towards God or this pull towards God, but then you also push back a little bit. And um, it's like a struggle between, you know, a sinful life and an obedient life. And there's this kind of, I don't know if I want to do that, or um, this kind of tug of war in it. And um, I know I felt like, well, maybe that's happened quite a few times that I went thinking back on life. And, and I felt like I don't want to reject God anymore. Not that I was intentionally rejecting him, but just by being disobedient, we are rejecting him. And, and so at a certain point, I just finally thought, my life is not going very well by not being obedient to God. And so I then decided that I wanted to be obedient to God. And I definitely needed God's help in doing that because that's not a natural thing for any of us. Um, we're not we're not born that way. So, and thankfully, God has shown me a lot of things that um, have helped me along this way. But so God does choose people for certain things, and God does. I mean, He's the Creator. He probably knows who's going to be for him and who's going to be against him just because he created, even though we have free will. So um, that's the way I look at this as far as election goes. I mean, there are certain people that are special purpose and certain people that are just common. They're just, you know, we just have like our own little paths and we're not going to be anything significant, but we have a purpose. Everyone has a purpose. So, um, as far as Jacob and Esau, he maybe he knew that Esau really didn't care about him. That Esau, he gave up his right as the firstborn for some stew because he was hungry. So he was looking at this is like almost a symbolic, just uh, symbolic uh, depiction of 
our choices, when we choose worldly things over godly things, when we choose something like he was choosing stew because he was hungry, well, that's a a worldly kind of a thing that's, you know, a hunger, but yet he was forsaking his inheritance, his future. Um, Because of that, like if that was uh, symbolic of what God is providing to his children, like, are you going to forego all of that so that you can be comforted here on earth? Or will you have the endurance, the perseverance to go through unpleasant things here on earth, but to keep your mindset focused on eternity? Going back to scripture, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Okay, that kind of goes back to the God is merciful. Well, we know that God is merciful. And if anybody truly repents and asks for forgiveness with the intent to change their lifestyle, God has mercy. It says that he has mercy for all of that. And um, so other people may look at someone who was in continual sin before they came to Christ, before they repented and asked for forgiveness. And they may say, well, that person doesn't deserve it. But we have to all remember that all of us have something that makes us not perfect. No one can be perfect. All people are sinners. So we can't, we can't judge somebody else because that's, well, if we judge others, we will be judged in that same way. We don't want that. Um, so the judgment is left to God. But we have to think about how we view other people and that if God wants to have mercy on someone, he is going to have mercy on someone. And what we think is right or wrong about that really doesn't matter. And God is just and God is merciful. And we have to also not forget about our state. We have to think about like, how were we, if we're a Christian, if we're a true believer, if we're born again, How were we before we were born again? Think about that. We weren't as um, obedient to God as we may be now as a born-again person um, because a born-again person doesn't keep on sinning. So going back to Scripture, he is like the Pharaoh. He used the Pharaoh, and actually like all of God's miracles or Jesus' miracles, the disciples' miracles, everybody who did miracles— it wasn't for worldly satisfaction or worldly happiness about the miracle that occurred. It was all to show God's power, to show the glory of God. It was all pointing to God. Um, in eternity is when we will have perfection because God will make us that way and we will have glorified bodies at that point. But prior to that, it's it's all about bringing other people, bringing other children into eternity with God. That's what God's purpose is. That's what he wants. He wants people to believe and to be in the kingdom with him. God loves us. Going back to scripture. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? 
But you, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people, who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. And in this very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there will they there they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. I want to stop there because when I read that, only the remnant will be saved. That's what it made me think about the hundred and forty four thousand that are sealed in Revelation. Um, when the angels go out and seal the people of Israel, putting the seal of God on their forehead, and they were redeemed. So I wonder if that is the same remnant remnant that Isaiah was talking about. Going back to what Isaiah was saying. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. That's something else to, that's really important to think about. Speed and finality. So when this happens, it will come with speed and there will be finality in it. Those are things that we really need to think about because right now um, it certainly sees, I certainly see things in the world that feel like Bible prophecy, future Bible prophecy is being... um, getting close to being fulfilled um, by all, all the things that are leading up to up to prophecy being fulfilled. It hasn't been fulfilled yet, but the rapid the rapidness of us getting to the point where we're going to be able to say, okay, this just got fulfilled. This is exactly what the Bible says. That's where I feel we are today. We're experiencing a speed right now um, in getting to Bible prophecy. And the finality is the other important part. There's a point, I mean, time has gone on for quite a long time. And I do believe there is a relevance today that we need to think about. Um, A day is like a thousand years to God. And so there's lots of scripture that talks about two days of you know, being gone and then returning on the third day. And all of our calendars are um, out of sync. I don't think we can figure anything out by the calendars uh, because there's been so many historical things that have affected to our calendars. So some people are putting dates on things. And I think everybody, who not everybody, but a lot of people who are giving dates about the return of Jesus um, I, everybody I think is saying, you know, we're just seeing signs that make us believe that. And there is scriptural support for that. And I agree with all that. 
And I think some of them are just putting, you know, a date on it saying this is a good possibility. It could be because of certain things. And I agree that's, that's all like, it could be because of certain things. Um, and it certainly feels like it is at a certain point we will know for sure. Um, because the Bible is clear, it gives you three and a half years. So at the point of the abomination of desolation, um, that's talked about in the book of Daniel and also in the book of Revelation and also in Thessalonians by Paul. There's several different places. Well, three places. So God always wants three witnesses to make something truth. So I've just mentioned three different sources, Daniel, Paul, and John from Revelation. So there are three different sources that are saying the same thing, that there's 1,260 days after the abomination desolation and something that's setting, that's being set up on the holy ground and a person who will claim to be God that's standing there, then we will know there's three and a half years. But up until then, everybody's going to be guessing and some will have, um, you know, who knows, we'll find out after the fact or we'll find out as soon as that event happens. But There's certainly a lot happening in the world that seems like it's getting close. And that's what I'm talking about here, the finality. Um, We have until Jesus returns to get right with God or until we pass away. And I think that's another critical point, too, because in in the news, we hear about untimely deaths of people, people that are very young that are passing away unexpectedly. And that's something that you can't just think, well, I'm going to have all this time ahead of me and I'm going to get old. And then, you know, about that age, maybe then I'll, I'll get right with God. Don't do that. That's not very smart. That would be like Esau, you know, trading the stew that he's hungry right now, but he misses out on God's eternity. And what good is it to gain everything in the world but lose your soul and not have your soul be in eternity with God. So something really to think about the finality when those events, either your death or Jesus returns, there's no changing after that. I know there's some religions that talk about a temporary place where you get to kind of reconcile your life. That's not true. That's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, Jesus gave a parable of that about a man named Lazarus, I think, was a rich man who, um, there was a beggar. The beggar was um, on Abraham's side, and he was comforted. But this Lazarus, who was rich on earth, and he had everything he ever wanted, and he was on the side where he was had this insatiable, um, he just wasn't satisfied with anything, and he just wanted like a drop of water on his tongue because he was just so uncomfortable. And there was no way that's what Jesus was saying. There's no way for one to cross over to the other. Once you're there, there's no crossing over from either side. And this man who was in this torturous place, he was saying, well, go back to my relatives, tell them because maybe they can, you know, change something about their direction. But it was more or less a pleading of this is real. And then Jesus told the story. Now, why did he tell the story to people? Because he wants them to take action. He wants them to know. He wants us to know when we read scripture, we learn these things. And then we can adjust what we're doing 
thinking about what is the end result going to be. So getting back to scripture, um, it is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been, we would have been like Gomorrah. So Sodom and Gomorrah, God destroyed because of immorality. And there were um, no one without sin that was there. And only Lot was spared because of Abraham and because of Abraham's prayers and because Abraham was obedient to God. Now, that's another thing about prayers and about obedience. If someone is obedient to God, God hears the prayers and God It also says in scripture, multiple places, even Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, God will give it. This is to the people who are obedient to God, as long as it's according to God's will. So if we're focused on God's will, we obey God's commandments, we pray in the name of Jesus, and we ask God for something, and it's according to his will, it will be done. So that's a significant and important thing about prayer. And this is only like God's children who have this power of prayer, but it's so important to understand this power of prayer. Going back to scripture, what then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way to righteousness have not attained their goal? Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but as it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. The one who believes in him, who is him? Jesus. Was Jesus not referred to as the cornerstone? look up cornerstone. That's all about Jesus. So again, Paul is saying that, you know, the stumbling block is Jesus, is belief in Jesus. And people are losing out on eternity for their not having belief in Jesus, or just trying to do it on their own, trying to like the workspace where I'm a good person. If I do all these good things, then I'm going to have a right to get into heaven. That's not the way it works. That's what Jesus was telling us. It's not by your works. You can't ever be good enough. God is so holy that the things that we think are right or good are nothing compared to the holiness of God. Like we accept so much of a lesser thing as being holy than God does. God says if we're angry with a brother or sister, it's the same as being murdered. And I think brother or sister, maybe it could be family also, but it's primarily meaning children of God. Like if we're angry with someone who is a child of God, that is, that is like murder. I mean, that is, that is how serious and how different God's ways are are than ours. So very important decision about and thought for everyone. Like, where is your faith? Do you just know that Jesus exists? Do you really believe everything he said? Are you following in him? Are you showing God that you love that that you love him by being obedient? 
you're not getting to heaven by your obedience. You're getting to heaven because you believe what he said. You believe and, and you accept Jesus. And that's the only way. Jesus broke the curse that was on all of mankind. All of us would go would be dead if it were not for Jesus, who broke the curse by his death on the cross and proved to the world that there is eternal life by his raising from the dead, appearing to thousands of people after his death and resurrection, showing people, yes, it's real. There is life after death. But right now, we don't know how much time we have, and it's important to make that decision while there's still time.